Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast. My name is Cody and today we are doing something a little bit different. I'm sure as you'll notice as the episode goes along that my partner in crime, Corbin's vocal, uh, is not actually here. This is a solo pod, the first of its kind. And um, basically, uh, I'm just going to be doing a little mini review of Corbin's short film, Contactless. Um, so a couple things off the bat, just to, to talk about. The reason that I am doing this, um, if you didn't check out our uh, trivia episode, Corbin uh, somehow did defeat me in trivia, a little controversial, obviously. And um, basically the, the winner of the trivia got to pick for the other person to do a specific podcast on. And, um, you know, I, I guess this can be seen as a punishment, but I, I probably disagree. I think this is um, a lot of fun just breaking down, you know, sort of the, the short film from my good buddy. So, yeah, I, I say we get right into it right off the bat. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, my guy and obviously the co-host, the the normal, you know, intro giver. You, you have to give me some feedback on my intro as well. Another, another thing to preface here before we start, I guess. If you're watching this on YouTube, I am um, in a different location than normal. I'm actually in my childhood home basement. Um, so if you hear any dogs or, or anything in the background, that's you know my family upstairs. And ignore the background, too many pictures. But anyways, let's get back to contactless. Oh, and another thing, super, super quick. I do have a cold. So if I sniffle or anything, that's the reason why. <laughs> Enough. Contactless. Let's dig deep into this immediately. Um, if you have not seen this, pause pause this right now and go check it out. Um, I believe it's eight minutes and 35 seconds, somewhere around there. So you, you have the time to watch this. And if you're going to listen to me ramble about it for a half hour, uh, you might as well go check it out and, and see what I'm talking about. But um, first off, I want to shout out everyone involved in this production super quick because they definitely deserve it. Uh, Corbin's a vocal. He had many hats in this. As you guys know, Corbin's super hands-on. And um, he did write, he wrote the script for this, he directed this project, and he also edited it as well. Which is not super surprising um, from almost here at Cap. Obviously, um, you know, a, a very talented guy. And then as well, I want to shout out some of the producers, Colby Goyette. Again, if I botch his names, um, I do apologize, but Colby, Jeremy Sklar as well as an executive producer. And then director of photography was Pablo Villa. Sound recorder is Ben Weertz. And then the main cast, Jack Loeb, who you guys know, he was on cap. He did our Ferris Bueller's Day Off episode. Great episode. Go check that out. Uh, he stars alongside Chris Duncan. And then our good friends as well, Jake and Austin Knight. Austin Knight knows <laughs> yeah, Sorry about that, Austin. But uh, yeah, our good buddies who have been on the podcast as well. And you guys know them from, from some of our drafts. They also have, uh, you know, parts in the film. So shout out to them. But that, that's all the preface. Let's get into contactless. So the first thing I want to talk about, and it, it's similar to, you know, just how we would start our episode. Let, let's do roll credits for contactless. Roll credits. Roll credits. <laughs> so first off, I want to talk about, you know, we always say, is it a good title? Is it a bad title? Does it have deeper meanings? And in this film, I do think it's a fun title. Also, it is said pretty much right away in the movie. And that's always one of my favorite parts of the movie is, is when the title said, so shout out Corbin there. Maybe that was. They just want you to leave it at the door. Contact list. A direct reference to me. 
Uh, likely not. <laughs> but contactless in itself, I mean, the word has a few different meanings. Um, you know, the main one being, oh, without contact, um, obviously. But I feel like it is more of a shout out to the COVID era, which this um, this short film was produced, you know, around that time, a little bit after and during. So contactless became, you know, a word that has become, you know, just in society and in general, people know what that means now. It's referring to the COVID era, I feel like. So that's a cool thing, kind of like setting it directly in a time period. Um, I really like that because, you know, 10 years from now, obviously um, the world is going to be changed a lot in looking back on this. It's kind of just like a snapshot of, you know, society at the time, just culture at the time as well. So I really like that title. Ooh, I, I actually have a couple of questions. So the font of contactless, <laughs> this may be a stretch, but right when I saw it, you know, I thought of the movie Contact, which you haven't seen that. It's a Matthew McConaughey, Jodie Foster, super sci-fi flick, super sci-fi. You've probably even heard of it, but it is similar font to contactless. So maybe just because he took the word contact from it, he wouldn't do a similar font. That's dope. And then as well, um, I kind of, you know, the word contactless, it's interesting for this movie because there's not really any physical contact. Um, I think there's one, no, there's two instances where there is sort of physical touching, but the majority of the movie um, really does not have any physical contact. So it is contactless in that sense. Uh, the two times... Um, is when Corbin, you know, the bad guy grabs um, one of the pizza guys. And then as well, there's a kick from Austin, Austin on uh, the captured pizza man as well at the end, which I was a big fan of. But I, I thought it was, it was interesting that there really isn't any contact between the two main pizza guys, even though they have those scenes together. You know, it, we're in that code era where, you know, you should distance yourself. So I think that's a cool shout out as well. But let's move on. We've talked enough about the title. Let's get into the movie. So first off, the first thing while I was watching this, and um, I have viewed this many, many times as it's only eight minutes, but the music, 100%, was something I noticed off the bat. And obviously, the first bit of music is at the beginning on the title card. Uh, you kind of have like an 80s beat, kind of like a super bad um, Guardians of the Galaxy feel maybe a little bit with that first song choice, you know, super upbeat, maybe like this character's, he's, he's going out there, he's putting himself out in the world and hopefully he gets something positive. And then very quickly, I mean, this is within the first uh, minute of, of the film, I'd say there's a switch. Once he puts the pizza box down, he hears the yell and then it switches to a more, you know, high pace, intense kind of music, sort of the da 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 yeah, kind of like a Hitchcock feel kind of, just like a horror, you know, thriller vibe to that. Um, and the thing I really like about that a lot is um, just the transition of that. And then it, it turns out like that beat is uh, just the pizza guy, you know, drumming on, on the steering wheel. Oh! 
Um, I think that's super creative. It's a super fun way of like changing up your tempo and, and the beat of the movie um, while also, you know, including the characters. And it, it's just like a fun character moment of, oh, you know, he just, he's banging on the steering wheel, you know, just waiting for him to come back. But it's actually creating like some intense music um, based off what the other character's going through. So I really like that from Corbin. That's a super cool, um, like just music transition, I think. And have that in the first, you know, minute of the movie. Uh, I really like it. And then the next, um, there, there is more music in the film. That was the big one that I like a lot. The orchestral music is also involved. And basically it, it's just like some choppy violins when the villain is revealed um which i think is effective and like the orchestral sort of vibe you know it's an interesting choice i don't know if that would have been the first thing that came to my head but it does give that intense thriller feel for sure it, it feels like it's like pulled directly out of like a super serious spielberg movie or something or a nolan movie 100 percent. like i can see hans Zimmer, you know having that type of music you know in his climax so i like that as well the, the music choice i think was probably my biggest positive other than um, camera work, which uh, we'll get into a lot uh, right now. So the second part, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to talk about the camera work. And, um, you know, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that Corbin, you know, he knows his stuff uh, when it comes to that. that. That's pretty much his bread and butter, I would say. We used to have a whole category, you know, even dedicated to film school where we, we would go over specific shots or, you know, specific stuff behind the camera that we really thought, you know, excelled. So it's no surprise that Corbin has mixed it up, you know, big time. And where I wanted to start with this, um, a couple of specific scenes, you know, it, at the beginning, it is kind of, um, there are a lot of jumpy cuts, especially when, you know, we get to the reveal in the basement, um, kind of those quick bang, 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 oh, blood here, blood here. Uh, it's like kind of close-up shot as well. There's a lot of close-up shots in this, which I think is cool. And for something like this story-wise, where you know there's kidnapping and murders, and there's supposed to be tension, I think those jumpy, you know, quick cuts of, you know, the Pizza Jack. Uh, I'm not sure what their character name are. <laughs> so I'm going to call him Jack, because uh, obviously we know him. But um, when he's discovering that you know, those quick cuts sort of just shows you, you know, what he's seeing at that time. He's, he's, he's kind of freaking out being like, oh my God, what's this? What's that? And I think that's really effective. And then and obviously, you know, the majority of this film does take place in a car. So I feel like you do have to kind of get creative with some of those shots. At the beginning, it's kind of just, you know, uh, passenger window, driver window. That's where the camera's at. You know, that, that's good angle. We get the back and forth and it switches between those two um but my probably my favorite shot well the, actually there's a lot of others later that we'll talk about with, with color and light but i think maybe the longest shot of the movie is in the back seat of the car so the two piece guys you know this is when jack discovers it he runs away and then he's like drive 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 and then there is a scene just with the camera in the back panning back and forth between these two and it's probably like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I, I should have timed it, I guess. But that like extended camera work and it's and it's the only time it's used in film as well. So, and then to use it for that period of time 
I think it's a lot of fun and it just adds a different look at the characters. So I like that a lot. And then another thing I want to mention, I mean, <laughs> in like the modern day, you know, car chase scenes, um, I think it's really funny. Um, and we see this in there where he says, go drive now, now. <laughs> and he has to press the button to turn on the car. <laughs> I think it's so anticlimactic these days. Um, I feel like, oh, like we gotta go, we gotta go. You jam your keys in, you turn it, you peel out of there. But you know, modern movies, it, we're losing keys, and you just go, <laughs> then you have to wait for it to turn on, and then you take off. So I really like that. I think I think that's a lot of fun as well. Um, I don't know if that was a specific choice. Uh, to use that certain car or they didn't have many options because i know corbin <laughs> corbin didn't have the best vehicle in college so maybe it was just you know too many options but i think that's funny like the modern chase uh you know car scene super anticlimactic start i would say but yeah let's move on and this is going to continue on just talking about different shots that i really liked in the film but it's going to be more talking about you know lighting and and colors as well and that really all starts when we meet uh, the Cor Corbin's character. Uh, Corbin, if you see my letterbox review, I say the Tarantino as cameo, you know, really, <laughs> really took it to five stars for me. Which you know, it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, um, like Corbin's specific role in the film is maybe the most interesting part. So his his. Well, his introduction, not his reveal, excuse me, his introduction, when they get there, we don't see his face. We just see, you know, the bottom portion of his body. And I think that's cool just because he has such like subtle and almost like welcoming hand motions. He keeps going like, hey, come in, like it's okay, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's got his hands out, you know, whoa, 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 calm down, waving his hands in, saying, come in, we'll figure it out, don't worry. So his introduction, um, just through like hand movement and, and like placement of camera, I think really, you know, uh, makes him like a welcoming character. I don't know how else to describe it. And it makes the twist a little bit better, I would say. Uh, as we continue on the movie, obviously there is the reveal that, you know, Corbin is the bad guy, which uh, is fun in itself. And there's a couple of lines I, I really enjoy. We'll get to. But... Um, the shots on Corbin, that twist specifically, that twist reveal shot of him in the back room with the red light covered him. And they're listening into the conversation. He's having on the phone, you know, ratting them out or whatever. Um, I love that. Obviously, the usage of color red to indicate, you know, a bad guy. That's that's as you know, old as it gets. You know, like Darth Vader-esque. I, I feel like that. There's a gleaming amount of light on him. Um, really, like, just changed the character instantly. And he goes from, you know, the friendly, you know, welcoming cop to about the worst human being possible. Um, just in that one instance, that one scene and that red light, I think, is, you know, indicative of that. And, you know, it helps it be more effective. And then um, moving on to my favorite scene in the entirety of the film. And that would be the part, that would be the phone call scene. So we have a phone call between Corbin and Jack. and. You know, the lighting in this as well is super fun just because, and I love the choice as well to go from the daytime to the nighttime 
um, just because it gives off that feeling of creepiness. You know, what I always say in horror is um, most times the most realistic is, is the most scary. And I feel like if people have had an experience like that, um, a scary phone call is much more scarier at night than it is during the daytime. That's just my opinion. But I mean, obviously in this film, we get the the close-up shot of Corbin and Jack on the phone. And Corbin, he does use a lot of close-up shots. Um, there are several directors who, who do like to do that. And everyone's obviously going to frame their shots differently. But I feel like for these scenes, or the, the scenes that he does do close-up shots, it does work just because it is significant character moments and you really get to see like the emotion and everything. So looking at Corbin's character in this specific shot, I mean, it's dark out, but the light is in his face and it kind of gives off vibes. Like he's in like an attic at like 3 a.m. telling like ghost stories. Like he's got that flashlight on his face, kind of like, you know, <laughs> so I like that. And then obviously his iconic line don't call the police. I am the police. Itch. <laughs> Don't try calling the police. Because I am the police. Bitch. I mean, there's another line I'll mention later, but that is my favorite line in the movie. And, um, you know, Tarantino himself gets to say it. So I love that. Um, I'm going to say it again because I really like it. I am the police. Bitch. <laughs> it's kind of got, it's got, you know, low-key Jesse... Jesse Pinkman vibes from Breaking Bad. Maybe a little more of the biatch would have been him exactly, but I think that's got to be a reference to, to Jesse Pinkman there. But I love that scene. You know, the acting is fun, and, you know, you really just get to deep deep dive in those characters more in that specific one. We learn a little bit more info about Corbin. You know, he is, you know, a very scummy character. And then we see Jack as well, who, you know, he's, kind of turning into a brave character. He was he was super scared to even go deliver a pizza. But now, you know, he's he's kind of standing up to this guy and, um, you know, he's going to go save his friend. Um, so kind of just, there is a little bit of character growth even within eight minutes. I think it's good writing. So shout out to the writer there, Corbino. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next shot that I really love. And we keep it in the nighttime. Um, all of the dark shots, I think, are are very well lit. And um, obviously, the next scene is is Jack showing up in his car, um, trying to make a trade off for Pizza Boy number two. I mean, then Austin's there as well. <laughs> and um, the the car lighting, I think, is very 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 cool. Just because like you use the car lights as lighting. Obviously, there is other stuff you know there to help. But that is the main source of light in that scene. Um, and then, yeah, continued character growth of, you know, Jack becoming brave and uh, he's about to run over Austin. <laughs> and um, I think Austin, uh, shout out him. I, I hope he he does listen to this because I'm not going to lie. I think he's my favorite performance in this. Um, Jack's great. The other guy's great. Corbin's great. But um, Austin's facial expressions, um, specifically in the close-up, and there's another, obviously, close-up shot here when he's about to run over um it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, it's not my favorite shot, I wouldn't say, but well, maybe it is my favorite shot. I, I think I said it wrong. I think I said it backwards. I think that's my favorite shot in the movie. It's not my favorite scene, though. I'm sorry. That shot of like, oh, his his eyes, you know, opening super big, 
I think it's super creative and, and a lot of fun that obviously it gets cut off anyways. I would have liked to seen him get run over. <laughs> I don't know if they had the budget or the stunt work for that. But uh, yeah, shout out Austin. I think extremely underrated performance. And then let's just let's just go directly to the ending. So if you stuck around listening this long, um, I'm sure you, you've watched this. And the ending is open uh, up to interpretation. Um, and I'm not going to lie, that's not my my favorite thing in a movie. I think in, in a short film like this, um, it is a good time to use it just because it like it really grabs your attention and it makes you think about, you know, this for, for longer than you probably would just because, you know, it, it is short and you need something to be memorable. So to have a, you know, yeah, I mean, is it a twist ending? I'm not sure. There's there's the twist reveal where Corbin is the bad guy. I would say that's the twist. But is it a twist ending? I would say, I mean, it, it kind of is. Um, obviously, there's the twist reveal where Corbin's the bad guy. But then at the end, I mean, we have the realization of, oh, it, it's been a, a dream or a vision this entire time. And I do want to talk about that a little bit and give my interpretation of it. I think, I don't know. I, I think that it, it is kind of like a Black Mirror-esque ending just because it's kind of like a double twist and it really leaves you thinking. So obviously the reveal is it was a, a dream or, you know, he's like, oh, I could think of something bad that could happen. He was envisioning that. Um, so I think that did not happen, but we do hear pretty much the exact same, you know, help. Um, and it is, I went back and checked it. It's pretty much the exact same, you know, sort of cry for help. So I would say, you know, he envisioned this scenario, obviously. It was all made up and it didn't happen. That That's my take on it. It did not happen. And, but there is someone who's in need of assistance in the house. Now, if it's the same scenario, that's possible. But it could it could literally be anything. It could be you know a little kid you know yelling to his mom for help, or you know it, it could be you know somebody's about to get murdered. So I think the difference is in this in this specific film, it shows what Jack should do, but I don't necessarily know if that's what Jack would do, just because the characterization is off the bat. You know, this kid's scared to go drop off a pizza, you know, during COVID age. I don't know if that's a legitimate fear just because, you know, it, it, the title itself, contact list, you don't have to interact or, or talk to anybody. I would assume delivering this pizza, you, you put the pizzas down, you knock on the door and get the hell out of there. You don't even see the person normally. So I think in this scenario, in, in the real life one, and this is like, I think this entire film is sort of like the dramatization in Jack's head. And in his head, of course, he's going to think that he's the hero. But I think probably in real life, he would just run away. I don't even know if he'd go around, you know, to the side and look for a window or anything. I think he'd just ditch. So I think it just adds to the characterization. And obviously, this is all up to interpretation. I, I have no idea. I was not involved in the production. We might have to ask Corbin himself, you know, what the ending implies to him. But for me, um, I I don't think, you know, this would actually play out um, in the story in real life. You know, that's that's an entire dream sequence of about, you know, six, seven minutes there. And it's kind of just a vision. So, well, I mean, obviously, 
this is a short film. If this was a longer film, I think this is a great opening scene. And then maybe it would lead into the rest of the film. Uh, maybe it's, it's kind of just like an eight-minute opening kind of fake out, which um, is it, super creative, I think. And honestly, I don't think I, I've seen something like that in film. So, you know, Carvin, when you get the money one day, uh, you can really beef up the budget and maybe make the full-scale one. But I really do. Well, I was going to say, I do, I do like this a lot, obviously. But um, leaving stuff open to interpretation, usually I don't enjoy too much. Um, I mean, recently we did a movie on Annihilation where it's kind of similar and stuff can get confusing and it's really just your take on it. So whatever you like, think the ending is implying, did any of this happen? Will it happen? You know, let me know because I think there, there are probably some other theories out there and I'm not always the best at interpreting stuff. I know me and Corbin on that Annihilation episode completely disagreed on what happened in the movie and um we pretty much had the exact opposite thinking of what happened in the movie so i'd love to hear what you guys think and, and definitely reach out and let us know because uh I, I do think that it's fun when people have different opinions on, on the exact same media but um we're nearing the end here i mean i feel like i've covered most of the good stuff um hmm. okay let, let's let's talk about uh, nods to other movies in this film and most obvious one and if you checked out our trivia episode you do know uh, that Corbin does reference Catch Me If You Can um, in this film which is one of his favorites and happens to be one of mine as well um, and it turns out the, the pizza company that these two are working for is uh, Two Mice Pizzeria which of course is a reference to the two mice speech that Christopher Walken gives at the beginning of the film and Catch Me If You Can. I kind of just want to do it. <laughs> two mice, a little bucket of cream, one mouse drowned, the other swam around, turned that butter into cream and got out. I, uh, as of today, I am that second mouse. Such a gist of it. But yeah, it's it's a nod to that, obviously, which is gold. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better reference, I don't think. But um, I did notice as well. I mean, the pizza uniforms were pretty generic. Just red shirt, you know, black hat with a pizza on it. So no, no, you know, reference directly to the costumes. But just in, we see that the two mice, I didn't even mention that, is on the phone when he's, he was about to call 911 and then the pizzeria called him because they said the other guy's phone was dead. And then, you know, that scared him and he dropped it. Um, but on the on the line, it says, Two Mice Pizzeria. So that's where it's at if you weren't able to find it. But yeah, that, that's the most glaring reference. There were probably a couple others, just like the shots he uses does remind me of some some specific movies and directors. Um, even just like, you know, the red, the red light and the close-up, that always reminds me of, 2001 a space odyssey so kubrick i i know that kubrick I, I don't know if corbin has you know seen all of his movies but how can you not be influenced at least a little bit by by stanley kubrick and then a little bit of spielberg i guess as, as well from, from country if you can and i mean you can you can find inspiration just from camera work from pretty much anybody um but yeah is there anything else i want to talk about um i don't think so i think we've pretty much covered everything so yeah 
the gist of it is, I mean, again, if, if you haven't seen this, I don't know what you're doing. Go check it out immediately. But the production value behind this, and the thing is, I know how much work goes behind this kind of stuff. I myself have not, you know, uh, directed, edited, produced anything, you know, like this. But I've done like shorter projects, and I know the amount of time that I put into those. So the amount of time just for a 10-minute project um, of this high-quality camera work, you know, visually, writing, directing, it's a lot. So go check it out if you haven't. Give it a like. Give it a thumbs up because it's deserved from everyone involved in the crew. But yeah, other than that, I think that's pretty much everything. Shout out my boy Corbin. Shout out the Cat Podcast. If you guys don't follow us, um, it's completely fine. But you can check us out on Spotify, um, you know, Apple Podcasts. Go follow us on Instagram and uh, TikTok as well. Those are all under K H A P O D C A S T. Um, especially the stuff on on TikTok. I think um, you know Corbin. He's an editing master. He's even going to edit this for me. That's how good he is. But the the stuff that we put out on there, I think, is yeah, maybe our best content. So definitely go follow us there if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah. Other than that, love you guys. Stay happy. Bye. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.